from meager beginnings as an adolescent ambulance washer in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, to a decade-long legacy of bringing you breaking news before it makes the news. Broadcasting live from the studios of Scared Monkeys Radio Network via C-Band Satellite W3-957, Access Communications Channel 7, and worldwide via digital streaming audio at scaredmonkeysradio.com, it's the Dana Pretzer Show. And now, your host, Dana Pretzer. Okay, good evening, everyone. Lots to talk about. We're going to start with uh, Robin Sachs. You know Robin as an attorney. She's, of course, a uh, legal analyst for Fox TV in Los Angeles, author and a uh, good friend of the program. Hi, Robin. Hi there. How are you? I'm happy to be on. How have you been? I think I need to tweet this right away, actually, that I'm on. You need to what it? Oh, tweet this right away that I'm on. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm lagging on my social media here. Oh, yeah. You know what? I haven't figured out half these tweets and, and all this stuff yet. But, yeah, you're very connected. <laughs> I'm trying to be. Anyway, I apologize. No, no need. Now, as we speak. No need to apologize. Listen, um, uh, a few weeks back, uh, the the video of the young girl from British Columbia, Canada, uh, surfaced on YouTube. Uh, we then find out that uh, she had taken her own life. Uh, the whole bullying aspect came forward. Uh, you've done a lot of good work uh, bringing uh, the topic of bullying forward with your uh, role of what you do now. Uh, why does it take a tragedy like that to have bullying brought to the forefront? No, I don't know that it's, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of actually a complicated question that you're asking me because I don't know that if it's, really taken a tragedy like this to bring it to the forefront as much as it's taken social media and the internet to bring bullying to the forefront. I think that both the pro and con of the internet is one, it's a, an environment that uh, stimulates and encourages in some ways and, and you know makes bullying thrive, but it's also an environment that makes us more aware of bullying that actually has always occurred, makes us aware that it is occurring. You know the old saying, sticks and stones uh, may break my bones and names will never hurt me, that kind of stuff. The old mentality, that old style of thinking, uh, whether it's an educator, uh, a judge, a lawyer, a cop, whoever, uh, how far out of date is that thought now? I think that as a society, we are in constant evolution about the realities of social issues. You know, I look at it very similarly to the issue of sexual assault. I mean, it was only two or three years ago where people uh, lived in, still lived in denial of sexual assaults, but yet at the time we were saying, we've come a long way, there's multidisciplinary teams, kids aren't getting interviewed and re-interviewed, um, we're recognizing that there's a reason for delay, yada, yada, yada. But then all of a sudden you have the Sandusky case, and all of a sudden you say child sexual assault exists, and, remember, and think Sandusky, and everyone in a room nods their head and accepts child sexual assault in a way that they hadn't just a short period of time ago, but we still have been making progress. And so I think that's exactly what's been happening here. I think that people all know, oh, kids have been known to, and, and, and not just kids, adults have known have been known to do very hurtful, mean things. And then now with uh, the advent of the Internet and the, you know, use of technology, i.e. cell phone footage, YouTube videos, it actually depicts it in real time for people, so they can't deny it any longer. Robin Sachs is here. Check out our webpage at robinsachs.com. Uh, 
consequences. You and I have done shows for years. Uh, we're both big into consequences. Uh, you do the crime, you do the time. But we don't hear a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, consequences for those that do the bullying. The odd case pops up here or there uh, with this case in British Columbia. There's some uh, talk of arrests being made. What about that? Well, that's, that's one of the issues that I think is really where we lag. We recognize that the illness is here. We recognize that um, that this is, you know, something that actually happens all the time. But yet the investigation, the consequences have yet to catch up. I, I can't tell you how often, I, you know, we cover the issue of bullying on our, uh, the news at Fox 11 in Los Angeles. We discuss it. We portray the cases. And then following that, I'll get, you know, two, three, four, five a specific examples, and then the next thing, you know, followed by the specific examples are, you know, but the school didn't do anything, yeah. but the police aren't doing anything, but, um, you know, no, the people who actually have the ability to do something are not. Education is so important, and again, I bring back the old adage, uh, the sticks and stones adage. Uh, how do we educate those uh, right from government down to um, the parents? Well, I think that, you know, first of all, we have to change the paradigm. I think the first thing is is that, you know, we need to stop saying sticks and stones because I think stick and, sticks and stones, words really do hurt. Uh, things people say really hurt. Things that people do really hurt, and we're seeing it happen all the time. So I think, first of all, parents need to recognize that they have a role in bullying, too. It's not just a school issue. It's not just a kid issue. You know, kids learn what they are taught at home. They model the behavior that they're taught at home. So if you have a parent who yells and screams at their kid, you know, that's essentially bullying their kid, and they're seeing bullying behavior. I think also parents need to stand up for their kids. And, you know, if we expect kids to stand up for themselves, uh, we can't expect them to do it if their parents won't stand up for not only their own be- their own um, self, but also stand up for the kids, you know, and, and empower them and say, I believe you and I'm going to do something. And, and not just doing something and saying something once, but doing something and saying something until something is done about it. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, you know, have different philosophies. You know, the only way to stand up to a bully is to fight back. No, that's not the only way to handle it. I mean, I think that's what, that's what people have been trained to think. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have to utilize different conflict management, meaning parents do need to get involved and force schools and police and people to take a stand. There's all kinds of legislation that mandates it. We need to, as parents, force them to use it. Robin Sachs is here. Uh, and this is virtually impossible, so uh, don't get after me for asking the question. Uh, but uh, social media, the Facebook pages, the, the YouTube accounts, etc., uh, should they be monitored more? Can we save the next young girl or young guy that does the cue card type of uh, video saying, I need help, please help me, or is that virtually impossible? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we have as an advantage, I mean, so often we blame technology as being the problem, but we have such an advantage with uh, social media and Facebook and all those types of uh, resources to know more about our kids than our parents ever did. I mean, you know, for me, if my parents wanted to know what I was thinking or who I was mad at, they would have to, you know, either overhear a conversation that I had locked in my bathroom 
read the bottom of my shoe that I scribbled on, look at my trackies, you know, trapper keeper notebook and see if they find some clues. I mean, kids update their status in real time. Parents have an opportunity to see who are their connections, how they are, um, uh, you know, what they're saying in terms of uh, when they use, utilize social media as an outlet. And kids, get, you know, are, are so narcissistic and so self-centered that they leave all the crumbs there for us. And parents should be saying, you know, hooray for technology for us to get insight into our kids' brains and minds in a way that no other generation has ever been able to do. Robin Sachs is here. Uh, before I let you go, your thoughts on the uh, Jessica Ridgway case and the arrest of uh, Austin Reed Sig. You, know, you look at that case, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy in every which way. Uh, the fact that there's even an issue or question that I hear the pundits out there discussing, you know, treating him as a, as a juvenile. I mean, he's 17 years old, committed a heinous, heinous crime where there's an abundance of uh, evidence and prosecutors just announced today that there's not only DNA evidence, but there's confession. Um, so, you know, he's getting a break by being a juvenile and that it's not something that he will have to face uh, capital punishment or death penalty for. So, you know, the benefit is there. But 17 years old is not even close um, in those in scenarios of determining adult versus juvenile. I mean, it's a close call when you're looking at 14, 13, 12. I can understand there being a... Uh, philosophical and ethical debate, but when you're talking seven years old and has seen it as a, I mean, game on. Absolutely, and we'll be following that uh, case up more during the program this evening. Uh, just while I have you, uh, just an email came in. Uh, our friend, uh, Susan Murphy Milano, is uh, very ill, and it looks like she um, may not uh, survive the evening. Uh, your thoughts on Susan? Oh, God, Susan, I mean, this just breaks my heart to even hear um, what she's been going through. I mean, this, I had, you know, there's many people in the cyber world that you never really meet in real life. Yeah. You, for example, I mean, you and, you're a friend who have never met. I have met Susan, and I haven't just met Susan once. I've met her a couple of times, and she's every bit of amazing as uh, anyone who knows her online is, and, uh, you know, she's a fighter, and if and you know to see her in any kind of pain breaks my heart. And um, you know, I just wish her much, much, many prayers and blessings and and love. Yeah, absolutely, it's a heartbreaker for sure. What's up with Robin? What uh, are you working on at uh, Fox Eleven? You know, I'm speaking to Susan. I mean, she's a woman who steadfastly uh, fought on behalf of domestic violence victims. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yep. Tomorrow night on Fox 11 LA, um, we are hosting a true crime special highlighting domestic violence. I think a lot of people think that domestic violence is a crime uh, that is somewhat passe with another one of those crimes where we've come a long way and, you know, on to the new crimes. Well, you know, is it, when I ask people, is it, you know, we've come a long way, baby, or is it we've come a long way, maybe? Um, I think we've come a long way, maybe, with a lot more work to go and, um, so in Susan's honor and in the honor of, and of many victims out there, um, we are working tirelessly also on the issue of domestic violence. Absolutely. Robin, always a pleasure. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Robin Sachs, uh, former assistant district attorney at Los Angeles County. She's currently now a uh, legal analyst at Fox 11 TV in Los Angeles. And uh, she's an attorney, author, and a good friend of, 
to the program. Yeah, our thoughts and prayers are with uh, Susan uh, Murphy Milano. Um, you know, be at peace, Sus. Uh, your body is uh, racked with cancer, and uh, you know, there's only one way to to get rid of it. And uh, when you're that sick, uh, we don't want that to happen. But uh, when that happens, we know that she'll be at peace for sure. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is the Dana Presser Show on Scared Monkeys Radio. When we come back, we're going to have uh, Blink from Blink on Crime, our sister blogger here. And we're going to do an in-depth uh, uh, investigation, a look at the Jessica Ridgeway case. And then a little later on, uh, Jackie Hollander drops by the show. Uh, Jackie uh, hasn't been on the program for a couple of years. She was the gal that sued the late uh, singer James Brown for sexual assault and has uh, been involved with the courts now for a couple of years regarding a multi-million dollar trust uh, that should be going to the kids, according to uh, uh, Jackie, uh, but has not and has been tied up in red tape for quite some time. So we'll get Jackie Hollander to follow up on that. You are listening to Scared Monkeys Radio. We'll be right back. We're back, and on the line is a very out-of-breath Blink from Blink on Crime. How are you? You always tell on me. I'm well. How are you, Dana? I <laughs> know. You're, you're out of breath because you're running for the phone, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I do for you. And now I even got to talk to uh, to Mr. Blink on the phone. I won't say what that <laughs> conversation was. I'll let him share that with you. But uh, I don't know. It's not looking good, kiddo. No, I'm kidding. Oh, you know. No, I, no listen. I'm, uh, I appreciate your time. And, and as usual, you're doing 114 things all at the same time. And uh, your time uh, at Blink on Crime, our sister blog, is much appreciated. But the the case we're going to talk about tonight, we've got to throw a little bit of a disclaimer out there. Let's talk about that. Uh, it is. It, it, it's graphic and, and certainly macabre. We, we talk about a lot of cases and we cover a lot of, you know, let's face it, it, it you know, it's crime. So it's certainly not pleasant. Right. Uh, but in particular with this. Uh, victim uh, Jessica Ridgway, who was a ten-year-old young young girl who was abducted and murdered, uh, allegedly on her way to school, and unfortunately, again, graphic warning, she was dismembered. Uh, an arrest was made in her case. Seventeen-year-old uh, uh, gentleman by the name of Austin Reed Siggs. It's yeah. as bad as you're going to get yeah. in terms of a case. Well, it's a bad one for sure, and we're going to get into. Uh the profile of SIG here in a minute. Uh, the uh, story and the pundits, and I'm not sure, I just had Robin on talking about this case a little bit too, and uh, I'm not sure how up-to-date either one of us are. Uh, apparently he's gone in, he's confessed. Uh, the question is now, at 17, will he be tried as an adult or not? He will probably be tried as an adult. Um what I suggest the well, not suggest, but I, I'm assuming the prosecutor, uh, guy by the name of uh, last name Story, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Story, um, has intimated that he was going to seek an indictment as an adult. But what I should say is, regardless, uh, at, because he was 17 when this offense was committed, uh, assuming that he did commit it, right. um, he would not be eligible for the death penalty or life without the possibility of parole because of his age, regardless of whether or not he's tried as an adult yeah. under Colorado statute. And that's another show for another time to talk about right. the death penalty in 17-year-olds. But uh, let's talk about Jessica Ridgway a little bit uh, and her profile. We don't know. You know, When you talk about her profile, you're referring to her victimology, of course, right. which is the second most critical piece and unfortunately there is not a lot that we know or that i know 
um, outside of public information. So a lot of assumptions really have to be made. I'm not a big fan of doing that, <laughs> but I can only kind of work backwards and say that I did not personally find in our research or investigation where this young lady had a lot of web interaction, uh, access, she didn't have a cell phone, she was not online, she didn't have Twitter, she didn't have a lot of social uh, networks that I could find. So for me, this girl is off the, you know, off the rung for a potential, uh, you know, somebody that she had met online or, you know, a predator in that way. Um, which puts her at a low risk. Now, when you talk about a young lady that is this age, that is living with mom, aunt, grandmother, um, which apparently both the, both the mother and the grandmother, or excuse me, the grandmother and the aunt are out of the house very early prior to her leaving for school, and the mother is only home for about half an hour prior to her leaving for school, and, and the child was getting up by herself. She moved to what I would call the moderate risk. Right. category plus there is no father present in the home which is not a slight to you know the millions of women that are single parents um but from a predatory perspective sometimes and i don't know if necessarily if that's the case in jessica's but it can be a marker for what a predator looks for you know somebody that he's going to uh, relate to a sense of that child that does not have a father figure and uh, there'll be more coming out uh, on this, I'm sure, as time goes on. Uh, uh, Blink from Blink on Crime is here, our sister blog. We're talking about the Jessica Ridgway case. Uh, now, Austin Reed Sig, 17, uh, explain to us a little bit, and, and unfortunately we have to throw out this disclaimer like Blink mentioned. Uh, there is some dismemberment uh, uh, that has happened here, but what about him and his... Uh, involvement in mortuary classes? What's that all about? Well, there's backing up, if I may. Okay. There's a, a lot of holes right now um, in in this. I mean, we're talking about a 17 year old. Uh, in terms of profiling, right now, this looks like something new and different on the surface, which of course will change as you you know have more information. Um, but there is no question that. And when I say that, Dana, what I'm relating to is a lot of times in investigations and analysis, when you have arrested a suspect, a lot of times you will find that witnesses and, and collateral uh, you know, associates of this suspect will, what's the word I'm like, jump on the bandwagon. So that information becomes less pure. So you really have to go with facts. And in his background... He has, uh, as, I, as I covered in the piece, he has had an addiction to pornography since about the age of 15, which he was actually treated for. Mm -hmm. uh, he has markings of uh, uh, excess, you know, um, online gaming, online access, which come to somewhat of a fairly abrupt end uh, in around the 2010 time frame, which would coincide with him having some of these psychological difficulties, which caused him to leave school. So if I'm going strictly off of a profile, say I didn't even know a crime was committed, right? right. If I was just looking at his background, what I'm seeing is uh, I'm seeing issues. I'm seeing signs of antisocial behavior. I'm seeing signs of what I'll call sexual deviance. I'm seeing signs of, and I'm not talking, when I say sexual deviance, 
again, I apologize for being graphic, but as it relates to somebody capable of such a crime, I'm not talking about, you know, the normal teenage boy who's, you know, got the Victoria's Secret, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. Victoria's Secret magazine or catalog. I'm talking about uh, an overt need and almost, when, when we're talking about an escalation pattern, we're talking about somebody that has, at a very young age, that has married the arousal of themselves with violence and is using pornography as an escalation tool, whether they're even aware of it or not, because it is part of who they are. Blake from Blake on Crimes here. What about his parents? Well, his parents, um, his mother has no criminal record. Um, His mother is a LASIK eye tech person, put herself through school. Now, his father, unfortunately, is no stranger to the judicial system. He has been in prison. He has been in prison for DUI. He's been in prison for drugs. However, he's been in federal prison for um, identity theft and mortgage fraud. Mm -hmm. However, he has somehow figured out how to still have quite a uh, fanciful lifestyle, lives in a very large estate, owns a cart racing team, all of which he pulled off of the web yesterday afternoon as I was saving it feverishly because that tends to happen in cases like this. Um, I believe he lives in Parker, Colorado, and I believe he's got, excuse me, he's got a couple domestic violence, so he's got um, assault in his background, assault against women, which when we're looking at a profile and we see somebody's influences i believe he was gone from the home by the time austin was six but i don't know what level of interaction he's had since then in as it relates to examples austin might have been exposed to let's say if your child has a at 15 years old has a serious porn addiction to the point it's causing him to be removed from school go to an alternative school and be treated and that's because I don't have access to his juvenile file. It's sealed. So I don't know that he wasn't arrested. You know what I mean? I don't know if there's other crimes that have, have led up to the need, whether his seeking treatment was court-ordered. But the point I want to make is he's accessing it somewhere. Right. He, he has to, it has to come. Now, could it come from, you know, he was hanging out with older kids and, you know, they're picking up a, you know, whatever girly magazine, and it went from there. He, he would still have to be in a position to be able to access what I'll call uh, violent pornography or things that we see 90% of the time. And, you know, I hate to bring him up, but a famous, you know, serial killer, Ted Bundy, yep. in his last words, was emphatic in his last interview moments before he was executed and said, you know, I'm positive that had I not been exposed to pornography, which he was illicit. He said, it's not the pornography that, you know, made me what I was. But it definitely was a trigger to escalate what I would, you know, what I may not have been had I never been introduced to it. Absolutely. That's how strongly he felt. Absolutely. I'm seeing that. Absolutely. Now there's some kids coming out saying that uh, Austin's been picked on, a bullying aspect of this. Uh, apparently he has a high-pitched voice or something. Yes. O- obviously a kid with uh, lots of problems. Uh, what about the bullying aspect? You know, I don't... 
from a profile perspective, having never interviewed him, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, Dana. That's okay. Um, I can only say that bullying in this type of profile is not going to set that person off no. for a crime like this. <coughs> excuse me. So while I think it's reprehensible that anybody would bully him, and I'm certain, you know, when you have what could be a psychologically damaged young person, it's going to have effects on self-esteem. It's going to have effects that are synonymous with perhaps somebody that's not, um, you know, I don't know what his psychopathy is, but he's potentially, you know, a psychopath or a sociopath. So these things don't happen in a vacuum. They were already present prior to any of this. It, it, it would blink from Lake on Crimes here, uh, and we're talking about Jessica Ridgway. Uh, when we look at this case, and uh, we talk about the aspects of bullying and, and the broken family and, and, and pornography and all this sort of, sort of stuff, we have to look at how the cops picked up on him, and we're hearing that uh, he confessed to his mother and his mother turned him in. Is that true? It's true. It's true. Um, I don't know about the exchange between his mother and he if if a confession to her is accurate or if he was confronted okay um i suspect strongly that he was confronted and i don't believe he told her everything at the time is my understanding um but that's going to come out it's sealed obviously right right now but yes to my knowledge he admitted involvement and she called the police. The police came, and he agreed, and she agreed to have him uh, do an interview, and police arrested him at that time. When, and the thing that is important about that is because, you know, you get into issues where he's a minor and, you know, representation, and rather than, you know, go under the auspice of, you're not a suspect, let's just go down to the police station, sure. we know you're a minor kind of thing, where... I mean, I hate to say it, but doesn't this sound a little bit like Damien Eccles? Yes. I'm very and, and, and they were smart enough to place him under arrest prior to having a six-hour interview. And when I say smart enough, that means he was clear that he could have had representation, and he was going to be charged. So there wasn't any, you know, you tell me everything you know, maybe you won't face charges. Because as we all know, law enforcement is not obligated to be honest. No. In an interrogation. So from that perspective, I think they did everything right. But I I can also tell you, I don't think they had, and I think they might even admit this, I don't think they had a clue who was involved. I think they were as shocked as you and I are. With the DNA and the physical evidence, the confession, all that sort of stuff, I've got to ask the question. Uh, When you have these sorts of cases... Of course, it's possible, as tragic as it is, this is the first time for for Austin, but is there anything in the area that's unsolved that uh, may be pointing towards him also? Well, I'll tell you, there definitely is a correlation, and and it's an interesting subject that you bring up and and question, because he is allegedly connected to a Memorial Day attempted abduction against a 22-year-old woman very near his home, very near... Jessica Ridgway's home, where he allegedly had some sort of chemical-soaked rag attack the woman from behind. 
and uh, she got away. But investigators are saying he is definitely connected to that. Now, they haven't said how. And when you refer to DNA, uh, and, and by the way, I'm sorry, he is being charged with that. He is being charged with attempted kidnapping and attempted, um, excuse me, attempted murder mm-hmm. in that Memorial Day. So I think that that attack is probably worse than we originally thought, um, because I don't see how they would be coming out with charges unless he was directly linked to it through some sort of, uh, you know, forensic tie. But I will tell you the only thing this morning um, in his first appearance that the process Scott story brought up was that there was DNA linked to the backpack of Jessica's. That floored me. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot of evidence. No. That's that's not, I mean, I, I guess you can have, you can say and you can have the argument, well, he confessed. Partial, part of her remains were found in the home, in his home, which he led police to. He confessed, part of the remains were found, and there is DNA linking him to her book bag, her backpack. I certainly hope that there's much more forensic evidence in a case that involves the abduction and murder and brutal mutilation of of a child because he's not being charged, again, I apologize for being graphic, but the reality is they're not saying he's being charged with either any sexual offense or uh, abuse of a corpse, which is a, a felony under Colorado law. My concern is that we, A, know the whole story because everything is sealed. They sealed the warrants. They sealed the warrants before they had a suspect, Dana. So you can't tell me it has anything to do with the fact that he's a minor because it doesn't. They were already sealed. What that tells me is this crime is every bit as gruesome as we think it is. And if that's true, then his story does not jibe. And they do not have a crime scene that I'm aware of that has determined where this child was dismembered. They know it's not in the house. They knew that early. Field testing would tell you that in a minute, as you know. I don't have to be ultra graphic to say that, you know, alternative light sources, hemoglobin tests, these are field test kits that the FBI, I mean, there's just no way they're not going to detect the possibility, and they didn't. So now you have a remain site out at Patridge Park, where her her torso was found, partially in a bag. You have some body parts at his home, but you are missing a crime scene. And you're missing some some remains. When I hear that, and I hear he's 17, and I hear what he says happened, it's incongruent to me. Now, does it mean that there was definitely an accomplice or somebody else was involved? Yeah. Not necessarily. It doesn't. But right now, as, as it is presented, it's, it's incongruent with his profile. It's incongruent with the evidence. I would not be surprised to hear there is another arrest in this case. Yep. I was just about to ask that. What about somebody else being involved? Uh, Blink from Blink on Crime is here, and we're talking about the Jessica Ridgway case. Uh, again, there's some confusion and... Uh, uh, just talk to us a little bit about his involvement with the mortuary training. He had, well, he first um, won, he actually won a CSI award in forensics in March of 2012 in um, the Warden Tech, which is a alternative high school. It's unclear why, but between 
uh, Stanley Lake High School and Warren Tech. Even though he's winning awards in CSI, he did not he did not receive a high school diploma from either. He went back and got his GED and enrolled in uh, Arapo County Community College, where he was taking his prerequisite courses, allegedly to be put into the mortuary science program. What I will tell you is. He can do that, but when he would be up for consideration for the mortuary science program, he would have to undergo a background test. And if he has the type of psychological issues that would be found in someone that has, you know, porn addiction or other things that we're not clear on at this point, he would not be admitted into that program. I have to think with somebody with this level of IQ would be somewhat aware of that. Do we look at this case as a, uh, and, and you hate to compare to the, the dopey television shows and stuff that are on there, but we can all think of the cases where somebody does something and, um, uh, you know, the BTK killer, for example, here's what I did, here's my trophy piece, uh, mm-hmm. come and talk to me. Is this a kid that uh, maybe uh, took his CSI too far and, is uh, wanting the cops now to uh, get him to help them? Well, you know, you, you, that is such an excellent point because one of the things that bothers me about this case, with limited exception, is that some of the best profilers I know, I associate with, I work alongside, had a lot to say when she went missing. Yeah. Okay? And we're very succinct. It's this, it's that, it's the other thing. I can tell you from, you know, I spent a summer studying profiles relative to this guy, the worst of the worst. What I came up with was not a 17-year-old by any stretch. As a matter of fact, it's, it's anti-profile, if you will. Once he was arrested, it, you could hear a pin drop. And if the best of the best are not clear and are not really feeling warm and fuzzy that this is the, you know, both shoes have dropped, that gives me pause. So when I, and I heard that um, Sig told an officer, or a detective rather, that he was asked the question, you know, you know, kind of why did you do it or did you enjoy killing her? You know, the standard kind of investigative questions you ask somebody that's confessing. Right. And he said, uh, no, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Well, I can tell you what concerns me is that's a textbook answer. Yeah. And I don't like textbook answers from a 17-year-old that was involved in this. I mean, that guy very likely should be undergoing, if not, a a psychopathy, you know, checklist. And this is screaming mental defense to me. It really is. I mean, the ceiling and the ceiling and the ceiling. A lot of times they do that because they don't want to give the defense their first glimpse at the evidence against and start mounting. Because, as you know, there's requirements when you're going to you know, potentially mount a mental defense, that sure. markers have to be met and that decision has to be made fairly quickly. I just, I'm seeing, a, I think this kid, by all account, by every witness, by every friend, they described him as brilliant. And, you know, then there's young girls that are being interviewed by his home. He's playing Capture the Flag as a 17-year-old with a bunch of, you know, similarly aged girls to Jessica 
if not maybe a couple years older, but let's say in that, you know, what I'll call the pre-tween age group, this young guy in that environment, porn addiction, you know, antisocial behavior, but then an extreme, I want to say faith-based regimen. I hate to use the word, you know, he's very religious, because that can be offensive. You know, it doesn't have to be an offensive thing. Lots of people are are very faith-based. But when you have somebody that's got this guy's psychological issues, and they are using something like that either in the correct way or in an adverse way, as you know, we've seen it, you know, and you get sort of a radical, people will look for ways to drive their behavior. And if he if he locked on to a belief structure that was going to forward his fantasy, and that's what this all is in somebody that's got his illnesses. This is all just a big fantasy continuum. Yeah. He plotted it. He planned it. He tried it with a 22-year-old jogger. She got away. That didn't work. Yep. Did he decide, uh-oh, you know, maybe I need a kid because yeah. I can't. I'm five foot six, 160 pounds. I'm not going to be able to overpower that person. It's easier, yeah. And, and that should concern. I mean, that then that is a, a different animal. That's somebody that isn't necessarily have a sexual proclivity necessarily to a child, as opposed to you know anybody. He just wants to kill. Yeah, for sure. Blink from Blink on crimes here. One thing we can say for sure is the cops can't put a uh, a nice bow on this package yet. There's a lot more to learn. And uh, for you listeners, if you want to learn more about Jessica Ridgeway cases and many other high profile uh, crimes, uh, go to blinkoncrime.com because Blink covers them from stem to stern, that's for sure. I'm going to give you the last word, ma'am. I want everybody to be vigilant and to continue to be vigilant. I'm not at all comfortable. I think it's better to be safe than sorry. I don't think, you know, I think in addition, people need to learn from this. Yeah. A 10-year-old child, and I don't fault her parents per se. I don't. Um, certainly no parent lets his child walk to or from school thinking, oh, I guess there's a chance they'll be, you know, brutally mutilated. Of course not. But I really think parents need to be much more vigilant. Uh, when you talk about this case, you talk about the case 40 minutes from me, Autumn Pasquale, who was murdered by her neighbor because she had entirely too much, you know, access uh, on Twitter and, you know, smartphone and gone for seven hours. People need to realize this can happen to them. Yeah. It is not... Just it happens three thousand miles away. It could happen to anybody's child, and you need to be vigilant. You need to not take chances. You need to ensure their safety. If they, if you can't afford, you know, if you're in a situation where you can't drive them back and forth or take the bus, then create a buddy system. Create a, you know, maybe you're the parent that walks with the kids, you know, to one mile to school this day, and then you take turns, sort of like a carpool but on foot, you know. You just really need to employ safety measures, and you need to teach your children safety measures to reduce the risk of the opportunity for such an offense. I, 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 under, I cannot underscore that enough. Absolutely. There's no immunity to crime if we can't protect the kids. I'm not sure who we can protect. Blink, as always, thank you, ma'am. Anytime. Be well, Dana. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. What a case. Uh, it's uh, far from over. I just, I'm just racking my brain here. There's... Is there someone else involved? Uh, you know, I, uh, Blink usually narrows these cases down pretty good, so check out BlinkOnCrime.com. I sat down earlier today with Jackie Hollander to get an update as far as what she's up to and what's going on with this battle regarding James Brown and his trust. 
Okay, we're back. This is Scared Monkeys Radio. My name's Dana Pretzer. It's been a while, but uh, Jackie Hollander, a good friend of the program, uh, victim's advocate, someone who's been um, fighting hard for what we'll call the James Brown Trust. Now, uh, doing some research on the net, and I haven't had Jackie on the program for a couple of years now, but uh, I came across uh, an affidavit uh, from a lawyer by the name of Albert Dallas, and we'll get into that with Jackie here in a minute. But uh, nevertheless, Jackie, welcome back to the show. Hi, Dana. I really miss you guys. <laughs> well, that's, that's, we miss you too. And, and uh, you know, you and I have done uh, many shows in the past, not just about James Brown, but uh, about domestic violence and uh, being a victim. Uh, and all the advocacy work that you've done in the past, uh, uh, Jackie. Let's before we get into the uh, to the James Brown Trust. Let's talk about that a little bit. If I know Jackie Hollander, she's still fighting hard for the victims. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. And um, the law that um, I created is really taking off, and a lot of people are using it, and that makes me very, very happy. You know, to see it helping other women out there. You know, we've talked domestic violence is a uh, an epidemic. Uh, we've used that word many times on this program across the United States, Canada, North America, around the world, actually. Uh, some cultures still believe that uh, it's okay for a man to put a woman in her place by beating the crap out of her, for her lack of a better term. Uh, the dark ages should be gone. And I want to ask you this question, Jackie. Uh, with the, the elections coming up here in the next couple of weeks, we're not hearing a lot uh, from any candidate about uh, domestic violence, uh, law and order, uh, protecting women, uh, things like that. Uh, your thoughts on the election and um, what these candidates should be saying about saving women. You know, it's real strange. Women are always taboo when it comes to elections. Yeah. Um, they should be the foremost because we are the ones that are out there supporting our candidates. Um, you know, Dana, I've always been one to lay the cards out on the table. Um, I went through a really nasty divorce um, in the past couple of years, and... Um, here I was out there changing the law for victims, but I was also being battered at home myself. And of all people, it shouldn't have been me. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yep. Um, and and um, I think these candidates need to really, um, really get out and talk to the women and, and go to some of these shelters where the women are beaten and uh, really get out there and speak about it. And I think there is a lot more laws that need to be changed. Um, I I think men should automatically pay a woman serve many years. Yeah. I mean, I think that will straighten it up. I, I don't think it should be a first offense. I don't think it should be up to the wife to uh, press charges. I think if someone gets hit and they get a 911 call, I think that's it. Card is butt off. Yeah. You know, but there are also, and let me say this in fairness to men, because I don't want to sound like it's all one-sided. There are a lot of women abusers and also violent to their husbands. So this card affects both people, men and women. 
Yeah, for sure. Jackie Hollander is here. Now, Jackie, uh, uh, the Internet's a wonderful thing, and you start looking around and doing some research, and lo and behold, I came across something called uh, an affidavit of Albert Buddy Dallas. Uh, let's talk about that. What's going on with the James Brown Trust? Maybe before we get started, you could uh, just re- refresh uh, the audience's memory a little bit about the uh, the trust and uh, your involvement with it. Well, you know, um, when James Brown died, he left uh, hundreds of millions of dollars to um, the trust that he and I were partners in. I actually created it um, with him, came up with the idea. Um, We were partners. Um, Business-wise, we were partners all the way across the board in this. And um, when he died, he put everything into the trust that I called um, the I Feel Good Children's Trust. And... um, of course, it's been in, in court for um, seven years, and everybody is suing, and the state of South Carolina has basically just pirated the trust. Mm-hmm. And I've had to fight legal battles in federal court. I was in Chicago. I've been in South Carolina. Um, I've been in Los Angeles. I've been, now I'm back in Illinois and Rockford. And it's really funny. It doesn't matter if I'm in South Carolina. They argue wrong jurisdiction. They argue wrong jurisdiction every place I go. Where where am I supposed to be? As Buddy Dallas said uh, two days ago, uh, Jackie Hollander is truly a woman without a court. Yeah. Jack- and I'm in court now, mm-hmm. and we're waiting on a judge's decision. Um, as the partner, I would like not one penny has been given to one child they have uh, racked up millions of dollars in legal fees. The children of James Brown are using money from the trust to pay for their big Huna lawyers. Um, everybody else, even the man that's supposed to be protecting the trust, has hired the largest law firm there is, and he's using money from the trust to pay for his lawyers. I'm the only one out there having to pay for my lawyer. And one would ask, Jackie, and I think it's a fair question, and I know what your answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Why, for all of these years, have you been fighting so hard? You know, Dana, I think there is some kind of media stigma against me. I think what happens is, if you look back through the years, I've always been very outspoken, But no media has ever really sat down with me. I've been on your show and maybe a couple of talk shows, but I've never been on national television. Um, I'll always be the girl that uh, sued James Brown for rape. Right. And now they're looking at me as, well, she sued him for rape. This gold digger is now going after all the hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, no, I created this trust, and my money is in this trust. And my music is in this trust. And this trust is not for Jackie Hollander. This trust is for the poor and needy. And, you know, I feel like I should be a part of what I am. And um, I I think James Brown is, the media is taboo when it comes to James Brown. It's a very, very um, hush-hush thing. You know, his daughter was recently arrested for stealing a van from a church. I mean, I've been going through, uh, she ran a human being over, put them in the hospital. 
But really, you don't see that on national news. You see it in local news. Mm-hmm. When we talk about Albert Buddy Dallas, who is he? Well, Buddy is James Brown's lawyer of 27 years, and um, I knew him. Um, I knew him prior to the rape. Uh, he stood up against me in the rape. Um, of course, years when I was young, to me it was Buddy turning against me, and of course I was I was scared to death of Buddy Dallas. And um, uh, the world doesn't know that um, a couple of years ago I, I did meet with Buddy Dallas. Um, I was scared to death, and um, Buddy turned into a meeting of him explaining to me that he had a job to do as a lawyer for James Brown, and that was to protect his image. Did he know that James Brown raped me? He admits now that James Brown did admit that he did rape me. Mm-hmm. And he told me that in the very end, um, James Brown suffered deeply for what he had done to me. Um, he told his accountant, Mr. Brown did, that he did rape me. He did not deny it. And um, of course, Mr. Dallas was a part of me and Mr. Brown as a lawyer uh, building this thing. Uh, he was very instrumental in it with us um, when we worked with the charities, when we granted wishes for children. Um, he was a lawyer. He was right there. He was at press conferences when James Brown and I stepped out in front of the press and talked about the I Feel Good Children's Trust Fund. So, um, Yes, he has given probably one of the most damaging um, affidavits ever when he recently sat down and said, this is it, I'm going to let the truth fly, and it's going to be there in the federal courts, and it is. I'm reading the affidavit, uh, or I have the affidavit right in front of me, I've read it, and I'm curious, Jackie, what the uh, reaction has been from the other side since this has come out. Well, I was told that the Attorney General asked my lawyer or um, what I had over Buddy Dallas to get him to write such an <laughs> affidavit. Oh, jeez. Um, I really don't have anything on him because um, he fought me tooth and nail in the press. I'm sure everybody knows, called me crazy and said I was lunatic and everything else through those years. But when I sat down with Buddy... It was like, once he looked at me and said, I had a job to do, I did my job. That was to protect his image. And he said, I wished I could go back in time. I wish I could make things better for you. Um, You know, and it was a big weeping thing between me and Buddy Dallas. We, um, you're the first that really knows that we're together. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody still thinks we're mortal enemies, but... Um, Buddy has been right there by my side through this and will probably support me all the way to the Supreme Court. I think you're probably unaware that um, there have been some people killed in this, and uh, Buddy Dallas almost lost his life last November. When you talk about this case, and, and we've done that for a number of years, and you just mentioned, Jackie, that uh, if necessary, this will be taken right to the United States Supreme Court. Um, I'm assuming then that as far as the fight goes, you're not going to give up. But there's been a lot of, um, 
I'll use the word intimidation towards you. Is there a oh time? God. Is there a time when you're going to say enough is enough, or no, no. way you're going no. to just keep fighting? Well, no. Two or three people are dead. Uh, Buddy Dallas was run off the road and uh, by a lumber truck, and uh, he uh, broke his neck. He broke his ribs. He was uh, airlifted. Uh, he'll never be the same again. He had a head injury. I mean, it's been it's been a long battle. I mean, he almost died, and and um, some of the other trustees. Uh, one of their sons was blown away last year at his door, and then his wife got in a car to go um, check on the son, and they found her car run off in the road into a tree, and she was dead. And I've had a lot of threats on me. I've had some close calls. The police have. Uh, been to me a few times. Uh, it's been very, very scary. But I think if you read that affidavit, clearly, who would you say is the partner and creator of the trust? Well, that's you. That's uh, uh, it, it, It's pretty obvious when you sit down and I think there are, uh, let's see here, there are 20 points to the affidavit. And uh, it's very clear as far as who's involved. But it, it it's amazing. People can argue um, you know, the sky is green instead of the sky is blue and, and tie it up in court for many, many years. Uh, and it's a shame because those that are supposed to benefit from the trust, that's the needy, the kids out there are the ones that are, are suffering right now. Jackie, I'm going to give you the last uh, word. Um, what's next in this whole process? Well, it's all backed up by 17 crates of evidence. A lot of the evidence with video footage of James Brown speaking himself personally is now sitting in the federal court. I've been very blessed. One of your friends contacted me and spoke to me the other day, and I hope to actually go out nationally, publicly, and speak. Um, Courts should never involve themselves in the lives of the poor and needy. Um, When you've got hundreds of millions of dollars, if I was a judge... In the economy the way it is, I would say enough of this. We're all going to be sitting in one room today, and we're all going to see to it that that money is dispersed immediately to these people out there, to these children, to these people that are losing everything. Children that are sick need this money. Children that need an education need this money. This money will be... Uh, generating massive amounts of incomes for years to come. And we could make the world a lot better. And no, I, I have no intention of stopping unless the bullet goes through me. And then I hope I have a successor that will stand in my shoes and fight. Well, you keep up the good fight, Jackie. Uh, Jackie Hollander on the James Brown Trust. Uh, this is Scared Monkeys Radio. Jackie, just stay on the line, if you would, please. We'll be right back. Okay, that's it. I hope you enjoyed tonight's show. We'll see you again real soon here on Scared Monkeys Radio. You've been listening to the Dana Pretzer Show on Scared Monkeys Radio. We invite you to discuss tonight's program with other listeners by joining us at scaredmonkeysradio.com where you'll find program archives, links to tonight's guest websites, and further information regarding tonight's topics. Scared Monkeys Radio is a production of scaredmonkeys.com. Thanks for listening.